0: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time to jump into that black and gold DeLorean and head on to another episode of the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Also, the senior member of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com is with me once again, my great friend, one Anthony DeFio. Tony, what is going on?
1: I am doing fantastic, Brian. I guess I'm like the Phil Hartman of uh, of, of the group. I'm, I'm, I'm just, or Tim Meadows, I keep sticking around. <laughs> daryl hammond yeah yeah Daryl, that's a good one yeah daryl hammond yeah and i'm, I'm I... now keenan thompson wow that's
0: right he has been there for a while he's been there since 2003 so i think he is the senior guy that's uh, interesting yeah you uh we're not giving you the gold watch just yet we keep you around
1: because of the vast knowledge in that cranium of yours my friend oh i can't wait to talk about this game this game had everything in, in, in a lot of ways the first great super bowl it really was
0: we are going back to January 21st 1979 the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys part duh and the big thing about this the winner was going to be the first team in Super Bowl history to be a three-time champion Tony Noel Steelers
1: Landry's Cowboys epic matchup my friend Oh, what a fantastic collection of talent both of these teams had. I mean, obviously we're, we're Steelers fans and, and they're arguably the greatest dynasty ever, but those Cowboys teams of the 70s, they had such a collection of talent. So this was these were true Titans, two champions going at it. Absolutely. And let's talk
0: about what was going on in the world on that very day. Neptune became the outermost planet at the time. The price of gold increased to a record 875 troy ounce. La Freak by Chic was number one on the charts. Remember that, Tony? Freak out! Oh yeah! Classic. Freak out! (laughs) Yeah, I love the disco stuff. And The Deer Hunter and Love at First Bite was big at the box office. But the big thing, once again, the Steelers, the Cowboys in Miami in the Orange Bowl—a beautiful backdrop for a Super Bowl with the trees in the background. Man, I love those
1: old stadiums, Tony. Oh, yeah. The Orange Bowl, the, the Rose Bowl, Lambo Field, all those old stadiums. I just I just love watching games from that from those eras.
0: I do too. And watching these games, the way we do for the retro show is so fun. Cause we go back to watch the games in the old stadiums and even watching the games in old three river stadium is fun. You're wondering whose cars those are <laughs> <laughs> that ugly turf, but it's so beautiful because it's a, uh, it's nostalgia. So I love that stuff. You know, this was a great lead up to the game as well. There was definitely a lot of sparks flying Leading up to the game, Thomas Hollywood Henderson. He got into a war of words with Terry Bradshaw by saying that the Steelers quarterback could not spell cat supply, Tony, the C
1: and the A. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we talk about trash talking today and, and, and some things, but that's that was some real hardcore trash talking right there, right before, <laughs> right before the big game. And
0: you know, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, you've never had a chance to read his book. It is absolutely fantastic. This is a guy that in that book admitted to inhaling cocaine out of an asthma inhaler while being shown by NBC cameras in that very game. And I, I tell you what, Henderson, he got himself clean, helped at-risk use especially with drug abuse. Then in 2000, he won the lottery. And what did he do with the lottery money? He spread it out, gave it to charity, took care of a lot of people. So uh, very interesting guy. I loved his book. Like I said, check that out. If you ever get a chance, one of the best sports biographies or autobiographies I've ever read, Tony.
1: Yeah. I, I love redemption, redemption stories like that. I'm going to have to uh, find that book and read it. Yeah.
0: And that stuff at the end the lottery and the, all of the helping that wasn't even in the book because the book was before that happened. Well, let's get on to the game, Tony. Jack Lambert, Sam Davis, Joe Green, they emerged at the center of the field with the legendary NFL owner, George Hallis, for the coin toss. But the Dallas contingent won the toss and elected to receive. The erratic, and I'm not kidding when I say this, the erratic Roy Jarella, the place kicker for the Steelers, this was going to be his last game as a Pittsburgh Steeler. He came out to boot the ball and open up the contest. From their 28, Dallas introduced Pitts' Tony Dorsett to the Super Bowl rivalry, and the Rochester native shredded the steel curtain for 25 yards on his initial two carries. Tony Dorsett, and it was really funny because when I watched this game, I had the opportunity to watch it with Myron Cope and Jack Fleming, doing the commentary in the background, not the NBC announcers. And it was really cool. And my dad always joked about this when I was a kid because he was Tony Dorsett for all those years, went to the NFL. He was Tony
1: Dorsett, Myron and Jack Fleming. They called him Dorsett the entire game, Tony. Oh, I can totally see that, especially Myron. He, he, he was not one to uh, change his ways. Once he got a name in his head, he, he kept it. That's interesting that he, that he was Dorsett here and Dorsett during his pro career. He was a guy that I love to watch. I, I thought he was great. I did not get to watch him at Pitt. I was way
0: too young, as were you, but it would have been really cool. Just a fantastic runner. The oh. last of his carries um, of the first two was nearly broken for a touchdown, but Donnie Shell, and every time we do a show, Tony, Donnie Shell is saving the game with a tackle or something big, and he saved that what would have been a touchdown early with a big tackle. After no gain by running back Robert Newhouse, Tom Landry went back to Dorset for 13 more yards, and it really looked like Dallas was definitely fixing to get a timeshare in Pittsburgh territory. However, Dallas, as they were apt to do, tried trickery on the next play and paid for it when Dorset and Drew Pearson misconnected on the reverse that was meant to become a pass play to tight end Billy Joe Dupree. John Banazak, who was great in this game, the Banazak bunch was going crazy. Tony Banazak pounced on it at his own 47 to stop the drive, turnover right away. Steelers get the ball back. Your thoughts?
1: Oh, uh, it was uh, it was crazy. That the Cowboys were were doing such a great job running the ball. Tony Dorsett, hometown boy, against his hometown team, and he's just shredding them. And and even the Steelers themselves were were kind of shocked that the Cowboys went away from that. Uh, like Joe Green said, the easiest thing to do in football is to And the doggone thing off. And uh, they went away from that and it cost them.
0: It cost them right away because after the Steelers took over, they were stopped on two runs. Then Bradshaw went to the air and threw precision bullets in the light rain to Randy Grossman and twice to John Stallworth. The second of number 82's spectacular catches went for 28 yards and pay dirt. A touchdown just like that. It was seven to nothing. Steelers with 947 left in the first, the Steelers strike first, Tony, that's big in this game.
1: Oh, it was, it was huge. You know, it was such a pretty pass by Bradshaw. I mean, he, he hung it up there, but they, they, they really fooled the Cowboys. Lynn Swan said he, he studied some tape on this. In this particular situation, they, they always been on like, like a, a shorter route. So that's what, that's what they faked. And that's why Stallworth was so wide open. It was a be- beautiful, beautiful uh, research by Swan and, and, and great execution by by Bradshaw and Stalworth. Yeah, the coaches
0: were smart. The players were smart. They did their homework. That rubbed off of Chuck Knoll. The players were selected for being able to do those things as well, not just play, but have minds as well. And that was a hallmark of Chuck Knoll teams. With the Cowboys moving into Steeler territory on their next series after Butch Johnson beat Steelers cornerback Ron Johnson, no relation, to get to the enemy 39. The Steelers defense, Steve Furness, Dwight White, They sacked Captain America twice to force a punt. The Steelers looked to take early control with Bradshaw completing consecutive passes to Harris and Swan, but he made another connection. Wrong guy, D.D. Lewis from the Dallas 30. He halted the
1: drive. It was the first ever pick thrown in a Super Bowl, his third. If they scored there, they're up by at least 10 points, maybe even 14 points, and it it would have been huge. But the, the thing I found funny about about this is, is the Steelers had so much confidence in themselves as a team. When Bradshaw was coming off the field, he was smiling. I and mean, I think I, I saw his lips saying I didn't even see him. So, I mean, you know, they, 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 they had confidence in each other and, and they weren't going to uh, worry about, about this at this point. You
0: know, we did the uh, retro show for the Steelers and the Oilers in the championship game following this one, the, uh, the next season. And we talked about how the Steelers led the league with 52 turnovers that year, but they also led the league in points. They did turn over the ball a lot, and you would find out that they will also as well in this game. But it was one of those things that turnovers never killed this team because they had a defense that could force them, but they had an offense that could overcome that and score on a dime just like that. And that's what the Steelers would typically do
1: they were strong at every level. So, you know, they would always pick each other up you know, you look at the, the early seventies, how the defense dominated. And by the late seventies, when they, they made the rules to enhance the offense, uh, the offense kind of took over, but even though the defense was still really strong, but the offense just exploded. So it was just a great team and, and a, a great collection of talent. After forcing another Danny White punt, the Steeler offense took over
0: and went looking for dinner again with good field position from their own 38, but Bradshaw got rocked by Harvey Martin for a strip sack on third and six. It was recovered by Dallas's Ed Tutal Jones with a minute to go in the quarter. Staubach looked to take quick advantage by finding Drew Pearson open in the end zone, but Donnie Schell recovered and broke it up. But on the very next play, the Steelers blitz again and how Roger the Dodgers stood tall and located Tony Hill, 15 yards downfield, 40 yard score and a seven to seven tie at the end of one. So the quarter expires. This looks to be a ball game, Tony.
1: Absolutely. As you said, it was an all out blitz and, and Mel Blunt, who was a. Uh covering drew pearson he was so he was so focused on him he didn't see tony hill running past him it it, it was it was kind of funny in hindsight but the first turnover didn't cost pittsburgh but this this one certainly did as dallas came back and tied a score well let's find out how much of a game it would be and i know spoiler alert it
0: promises to be one but we're going to do that right after this on the steelers retro show be right back (laughs) Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is Tony Defio. We are proud to hop into that Pittsburgh black and gold DeLorean and travel back to January 21st, 1979. The Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're looking for their third Super Bowl win. It would have been the most in history at the time, as this was the 13th edition of the Super Bowl. They were in Miami. They played in Miami three years earlier in Super Bowl X. They're back at the scene of the crime, wearing the same uniforms. Only thing the Steelers aren't wearing that that uh, special patch that uh, they had worn in Super Bowl X. So that's the only difference in this game. A lot of the players are the same as well. It's seven to seven, Tony. In the second quarter, the Steelers were moving the ball. However, Dallas's Doomsday defense they were putting a lot of pressure on Bradshaw on third and long from the Steeler 48. Terry bobbled the snap, but retained it. However, the botch gave Thomas Hollywood Henderson enough time to constrain Bradshaw's arms to allow Mike Hagman to take the ball away. It was thievery, Tony. He ran it all the way in for the score. Just like that, the Steeler quarterback landed on his elbow and there was so much concern about his health and the availability of TB12 more than the 14-7 to Dallas lead. What was more concerning to you, Tony? The fact that Dallas is up just like that, 14-7, to or Terry Bradshaw might be coming out of the game?
1: Oh, it had to be Bradshaw's uh, health at that point because, as as we talked about earlier, they had such confidence in each other, both sides of the ball, that, that one picked the other up. But if you don't have your quarterback, like Bradshaw said one time, you might lose with me, but you'll never win without me. If they didn't have him... It, it was going to be tough, so that, that's what was more concerning. Also, his performance up to that point. We're talking about three turnovers in, in a little over a quarter, and, and two of them led to the touchdowns, and that's your 1978 NFL MVP. So, uh, yeah, that, it, was, it was his health and his performance. We, When we watch these games, we usually watch it with
0: the network announcers, but like I mentioned before, I got to uh, watch it with Fleming and Cope and you get more Steeler-centric. You get reports of what's going on. They don't really care what's going on. They're not neutral. So they don't care as much as what's going on with Dallas. But you're getting to know more about your team that you're, watch- you're listening to. And they're painting more of a picture because you're listening to it on the radio. So, And so I'm listening to it. And right away, they explained that Bradshaw had a bruised shoulder, but he was going to be coming back in. So number 12 came out on the next drive and must have not been hurt too bad because on third down, he rifled a 15 yard pass to John Stallworth. It looked like, Hey, they're in business, but wait, he got some help from Lynn Swan on a block on Benny Barnes. He beat Randy Hughes. Next thing you know, he's jetting. He's off to the end zone, the races for a 14, 14 tie. Just like that. It's a 75 yard score. It was the longest in Super Bowl history pass play at the time. The Steelers have some luck with 75-yard scoring plays because Willie Parker did it so many years later with a 75-yard run. John Stallworth was first to do it with that 75-yard pass. Bradshaw had all the numbers in the world at this point because he just got 75 yards for a ball that he threw about seven to eight yards down the field. Stallworth,
1: three catches, 115 yards. The Steelers are tied. Things seem so much better, Tony. Yeah, and it goes back to that confidence. I mean, they had such a belief in themselves, and, and as you said, it looked like such an innocent little pass just to pick up a first down. But 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 Starworth, you know, like like he said uh, at one time, you know, Chuck knew always told them never be surprised by the big play, and and you know he catches this ball, and he you know he gets great blocking from Linswan. You you see a Grossman downfield blocking, and, and it was such a beautiful run by him, and he was so so athletic, and not given enough credit for the. Uh, kind of athlete he was and it was he was such a uh, a great receiver and a clutch receiver as as both him and swan were and and it, it was it was big for them to answer right back after after two quick touchdowns by dallas to score right away a few plays later to tie the game it just it, it said we're not going anywhere we're, we're we're in this game and this is, this is going to be a, a shootout Stalworth would not
0: see much more action in this game in fact you would see more of t bell because Stalworth was injured I don't know whether it was on this play, but uh, maybe just a little bit later, but he was on the sideline getting attention. He would be sorely missed, but as you know, things uh, did go well in his absence with other players stepping up and the defense would start to step up, Tony. The Steelers almost had a quick defensive score on the very next series when a Joe Green sack jarred the ball loose deep in Dallas territory, but Steve Furness didn't pounce on it. Instead, he tried to pick it up for a short touchdown, Couldn't get control, and the Cowboys recovered. Dallas escaped by punting from its own end zone. Roy Jarella, perhaps the worst player in Super Bowl history, clanked his 51-yard attempt off of the uprights. Actually, it hit the crossbar more, and crisis was averted for Dallas. I tell you what, Roy Jarella from New Mexico, he struggled in Super Bowls, Tony.
1: Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, from 1978, he was 12 of 26. I mean, could you imagine that today? Oh, they would they would run him out of town well before the before the uh, 26 field goal attempt. I didn't realize he had such a strong leg. Uh, it was a great attempt by him in this game. I mean, he, you know, you're you're kicking for 51 yards. I guess you have you, you feel like you had nothing to lose, and, and he he let it rip, and he almost made it. But but you're right. He was he didn't have great luck in Super Bowls. He's his, his accuracy was was uh, was left a lot to be desired. It surely was. Now, Tom Landry's team looked like they were going
0: to take advantage and take the lead as they drove into Steeler territory, but they couldn't do anything with their luck. Pittsburgh put a ferocious rush on Staubach, and his offering was snagged by Mel Blunt, another interception at the Steeler 16. This time, it was the Cowboys throwing an interception. He returned it to the 29 inside of the two-minute warning. Because of a 15-yard penalty on an unnecessary hit by Billy Joe Dupree on Blunt, the Steelers had great field position before the end of the half. Bradshaw, he took advantage. And Lynn Swan was his weapon of choice on this possession. He had 50 yards on two catches in this in this series, Tony, with 26 to go. Bradshaw rolled right. And it was a thing of beauty. He found a leaping Rocky Blyer in front of D.D. Lewis for seven yards and a 21-14 to lead at the half. This was the famous picture that adorned the cover of Sports Illustrated. Rocky going up. Rocky was a classic player. He's a Hall of Famer in my book. He's a Steeler Hall of Famer. And he was big in Super Bowls. Rocky Blyer gives them the lead, Tony. Going to the half, that's all the momentum you need, isn't it?
1: Oh, Rocky wasn't a known as a great athlete, but he got every last ounce of height out of that jump. And, and what, what a clutch play. And, and this is, this is what kind of players that teams need to win championships. And, and they give you that, that extra something. And that's what Rocky did on on this play. So I, after halftime up with peoples out there, I guess they sapped everybody's enthusiasm,
0: including (laughs) the players. The first, I saw them live in concert. Actually, I'm, I'm, uh, Ashamed to say. Um, <laughs> but the first three possessions of the third quarter ended in punts as amped up defenses and tempers flared along the way. On the fourth possession, America's team, yes, I put that in quotations America's teams, you just can't see my air quote, they <laughs> mounted a drive behind Dorset's legs that had the steel curtain about to break. On third down at the Steeler 10, Scott Laidlaw from Stanford delivered a shot to Lambert in the ribs that knocked the future Hall of Famer off course, thus freeing Jackie Smith to be all alone in the middle of the end zone. He also got past Ron Johnson there. The future Hall of Fame tight end of 16 years dropped the soft pass, and the Cowboys settled for a 27-yard Rafael Septien field goal. This would go down as one of the biggest blunders in Super Bowl history, Tony. I could still hear Jack Buck saying, he must be the sickest man in America. And gosh, I mean, right in the middle of the end zone to drop it like that. This was a Hall of Fame player, but he's remembered
1: for this one bad play and it's a shame. Oh, it's definitely a shame. And the funny thing about it is he came out of retirement to play one more season with the Cowboys. He played his career with the Cardinals and come on of retirement. You're already a hall of famer. Now this is what you're known for. you uh, you 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 see this image of yourself over and over again for the next what over four decades now. So you have to feel bad for the guy, but Hey, these, these things happen and, and it comes down to execution and he didn't execute on that play. Many Cowboys fans would cite for
0: years that this was the instance for being the reason that the team lost the game. However, it would have only tied the score with more than a quarter left of action It was now the Steelers 21, the Cowboys 17, and NBC kept on showing him on the sidelines when Dallas was trying to tie the game late. What would have happened is eventually this game would have been tied 35-35 possibly at the end of the game, but I don't think so. I mean, you can say that because they came back, but circumstances are much different. Teams play different when the score is tighter. That might have not been a tie game at the end of the uh, game they're going into overtime, but a lot of Cowboys fans want to hold on to that, and I get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if they're down 35-28 with a few minutes left instead of 35-24, maybe they don't try an outside kick. entire circumstances of the game would have been different, and, and as you said, the strategy would have been different. They would have both teams that would have played it differently. So I, I don't, I don't, you, you can't just say one plus two equals three. Who knows what would have happened if, if, it, if it was 35, 21, or I'm sorry, uh, instead of a 35, 17, you know, we, we will never know. You
0: got that TD. There was plenty of scoring in the fourth quarter, but it started with a consecutive punts. We got to uh, see a lot of Craig Colquitt in this game as well as Danny white. A controversial pass interference play on Benny Barnes while covering Swan led to a 28-yard gain. But on third down, Pittsburgh suffered a delay of game penalty. Hollywood ignored the whistle and slammed Bradshaw out of the Miami turf, probably because he was just snorting Coke out of a inhaling Coke out of an (laughs) asthma inhaler, and he was all amped up. Um, It was a move that Franco Harris took exception to, and the two opposing players had words. Now with 10 yards to go, it isn't typical to run the ball, but you had an angry Franco Harris. He was set free on a trap by Mike Webster, Ray Penny, and Jerry Moon Mullins, and he scored from 22 yards out. On the play, Charlie Waters also ran into an official, preventing from getting to Harris. With 7-10 remaining, Pittsburgh had a 28-17 to advantage in this game. Running into the official, that's a big deal. But an angry Franco, Tony, what do you think was more devastating for Dallas?
1: Oh, uh, definitely an angry Franco. And, and I don't know if you, if you saw this one feature, uh, but uh, Rocky Blyer was interviewed about this and he said, when they were in the huddle, he said, I want the ball, he meaning Franco. I want the ball. I want the ball. And, and Franco never said anything like that. He never. He barely spoke. So, uh, yeah, they they angered the beast. And whether there was an official there or not, I think uh, Franco's running right through Charlie Waters on, on his way to the end zone. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered.
0: Yeah. Roy Jurella, he squibbed the kick. Not sure if it was behind or if it was merely being Roy Jurella. Yeah. It worked when it bounced off of the uh, casted hand of Randy White. A great player. He was playing on special teams. Dennis Dirt Winston recovered, and the Steelers had the ball on the Dallas 18. My gosh, that was a pile and a scrum for the ball that lasted forever, and it was really cute to watch Dennis Dirt Winston with the ball, just holding it out, running, and he was not giving anybody that ball back. Running right to the sidelines, just holding the ball out. It was like he had stick him on that ball. He was. It was in his clutches, and no one was going near that thing.
1: Absolutely. You talk about role players like a like a Rocky uh, Blyer. Uh, Dirt Winston was another one who gave the Steelers a lot of valuable uh, uh, years during his career here. So, yeah, it, he was not letting that ball go. And that was a huge, huge turnover. You you're, you're think you're, if you're the Cowboys, you're already thinking, oh, my gosh, we're down 28-17 in the fourth quarter. We got to come back in a hurry. And then the next thing you know, you're giving the ball right back to the, to the Steelers. So that, that was huge. Talking about role players, this is not a role player,
0: but Terry Bradshaw knew his role and he knew he was the leader of this team. He had never had a 300-yard passing game at this juncture in his career. He decided to get his first one in Super Bowl 13, and he got it with an 18-yard TD pass to Lynn Swan. The score is now 35-17 to with 6.51 remaining on the clock. Now, Dallas is in desperation mode. They went to Dorsett and the Air hoping for a miracle. Despite the Banazak bunch celebrating the second sack perpetrated by their hero, the Cowboys put together a four-minute, 24-second drive that culminated in a 70-yard Billy Joe Dupree touchdown catch from Stallworth. After Robert Thurman recovered with two twenty-seven left in the game, that being an onside kick, the Cowboys scored again when Butch Johnson hauled in a stallback throw from four yards out, but only 22 seconds remained, Tony, and the world knew it. What did they know? That another onside kick was coming with the Cowboys trailing by four points. Guess who else knew it, Tony? Rocky Blyer. Yeah, the man. Rocky Blyer shorthanded the attempt, and the Steelers, by a score of 35 to 31, were three time champions and again, the toast of the town. As for me, I was seven, and this was the first Steelers Super Bowl that I was cognizant of and truly engaged in. My love affair with this team officially began on this day, Tony, and I've really never been the same.
1: What about you, my friend? Any thoughts of Super Bowl thirteen? I just, I just, I I don't remember this game at all, you know, when it originally aired, but I just love going back and watching this game. I I love going back and watching documentaries about it and features on NFL films features. I love listening to both teams talk about it. The Cowboys, here we are in 2021 and they're still not over this game and, and some of the critical plays. So I, I just, I just like i said this was this was the first truly great super bowl and it's always a treat to go back and watch
0: it truly is and this was so much fun talking about it with you i had so much fun I, this is the way a super bowl is supposed to be and i really love this game Uh makes me more proud to be a pittsburgh steelers fan and i love watching these guys so tony thanks so much my friend
1: oh thank you it was great it was great and and uh uh Two great Titans went at it, and and one came out the the team of the decade, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, for Tony Duffio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis.
0: We are going to be going back in time for another Super Bowl. We will do that next week at this time as well. We're going to do a later Super Bowl. Will it be Steelers Seahawks? Will it be Steelers Packers? And we don't want to do that one, do we? Or will it be Steelers Cards? Plenty of action in all of those games. We will decide and we will let you know. But for Tony, my name is B.A.D. You could call me bad. And remember, you could take us away. We don't mind, but you better promise us we'll be back in.